Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. I promise we will get back to Luke. But we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A few years ago, I was on Facebook, and I came across a church in Oregon. And the pastor wanted to make some changes in his church to kind of shake things up, so he was starting a new sermon series. And the sermon series was called Church, and I'm not going to say it from the pulpit because some of you may find it inappropriate. I'll just use the euphemism. Church stinks, but he used the other word. Church stinks, but he used the other word. And he was concerned that too many churches were talking about sin, talking about the cross, talking about repentance, and that people get turned off, and most people think church stinks, so he might as well just have a sermon series to talk about how church stinks. And he didn't call himself a preacher, because he didn't want to stand up and preach at people on Sundays. And so what he did was he told off-color stories and said they were going to make a few changes in their church starting the new year. And so they were not going to actually preach sermons. They were going to be called talks, and they were going to be about 15 minutes long. And they were going to get rid of all their praise music, and they were going to introduce songs by Katy Perry and Maroon 5 and some of the modern song leaders and, and popular musicians that are out there today. In this new direction the church was going, that church stinks. Now that got me stopping to think and ask a very simple question. What exactly is the purpose of the church? And does this type of behavior actually honor God at all? Does God care about what we do, what we think, who we are as a church? So let's make this very personal this morning. I have been your pastor coming up almost 18 years. It's hard to believe. In May, it'll be 18 years. And about five years ago, I gave a State of Emmanuel sermon, kind of like the president gives a State of the Union. So this morning, we're just going to ask the question, microcosm here on Emmanuel Baptist Church, what is the State of Emmanuel? What has God called us to be as a church? And what has God called us to do as a church? So here's the fundamental question we're going to ask this morning. As a church, are we being obedient to what God has called us to be and to do? Very simple question. Are we being obedient to what God has called us to be and do as His church? Now this was read to begin our worship service, but I want to read it again. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that's what a church is. A church is a body of believers who've been called out of darkness into God's light. Now, the word church does not show up in that passage of Scripture, but the, the word church comes from two words in the original language. It's the Greek word ekklesia, and it means to be called out of. 
We are the called out ones. We've been called out of darkness and we've been called into God's light, into God's family. So that's what a church is. A church is a group of people who have been called out of darkness into light to be God's, God's people, God's family. That's what a church is. But what does a church do? Well, let's look at the early church in Acts chapter 2. We're, we're coming kind of at the end of Peter's sermon. Peter stands up, preaches the first Christian sermon at Pentecost. They are cut to the heart. They've been convicted by his message. And we're just going to pick up in verse 41. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41 through verse 47. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what's the result of Peter's sermon? Well, in verse 41, it says 3,000 people got saved. They were saved, and as an act of obedience to salvation, to their following Christ, they got baptized. Now, this is a Baptist church, and so let me just explain baptism based upon how we understand the Bible. The Greek word baptizo means to dunk or to plunge and that's why we practice believers baptism by dunking people under the water and so jesus was baptized in the jordan river and so an outward sign that you have been changed by sovereign grace is that you follow the lord in believers baptism and three thousand people were baptized on that day and so basically what the apostles were doing there was they were obeying the Great Commission because the, the last words Jesus gave to his followers was to baptize. Now that wasn't all that he told them to do, but in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19-20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age we are called to make disciples of all the nations and one of the ways that you make a disciple is once somebody has trusted christ for salvation they are baptized we see it right here from the early church three thousand people were baptized that very first day and so ultimately a church is a body of baptized believers believers who have been baptized that gather together to be and do what god has called them to do and so let's ask the question what should a church do? What should Emmanuel Baptist Church be doing? What's our purpose? What's our mission? How should we function? And so as we look here at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see marks of a healthy church. What should a healthy church be doing? 
And as we look at what's going on in Acts, let this be a template, let this be a mirror, let this be a prototype for what we as a church should be doing in obedience to the Lord. So let's look at this. There, there are six things I want us to look at this morning. I think there's six. I need to count. But if I, if I go past six, then you realize I got it wrong. But I think there's six. So first, Emmanuel should be devoted to faithful preaching and teaching. Notice right from the shoot in verse 42, what's the first thing Luke records for us here? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To teaching. The word devoted there means they were passionate about it. They were intense about it. It was a high priority to the early church. Now, why are they devoted to preaching and teaching? Why is that first out of the gate? Why is preaching, teaching, God's Word first? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy what the role of the church is. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So we're a household, the church of the living God, but notice how Paul describes it, a pillar and buttress of the truth, a supporter, an upholder, a foundation of the truth. So a church is to uphold the truth, the truth of the Scriptures. So why all the preaching in Emmanuel? Why do I stand up here every Sunday for almost 45 minutes and proclaim to you? Why can't I just give you happy little stories about my life and little tidbits for living and just kind of give you some pop psychology to help you along your way? Why do we focus so much on preaching? Why focus so much on this inerrant book? Well, let me tell you why. Let me just read to you why. And it will answer it for you very clearly. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through chapter 4, verse 4. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming, and it's here, folks, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's why we preach the truth, the word. Because people have itching ears and they want to hear what they want to hear and they're going to follow all types of things that aren't the truth. I've said this many times here at Emmanuel. Theology matters. The Bible matters. And here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. When life hits you hard, what's your anchor? When a doctor tells you you have cancer, how are you equipped to handle that? When you lose a spouse, how are you equipped to handle that? When you deal with a wayward child, how are you equipped to handle that? When you deal with the loss of a job or any type of heartache or your marriage starts to crumble or any type of pressure comes upon you, how do you handle that? How do you stand? How, how do you survive without being taught the truth? Little stories about me are not going to help you. Pop psychology is not going to help you. 
The, the, the fads that are going on in the world right now are not going to help you. What's going to help you is this word. And it needs to be preached faithfully every week from this pulpit. The primary way that God grows you to be more like Jesus is for you to weekly sit under this word. That's how God has chosen to grow you in Christ, is for you to sit under preaching. Now, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, we're just in chapter 2, but if you read the rest of the book of Acts, how did the church grow? How did the church grow? It grew through the word being preached. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continued to increase. Acts 12, 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Notice it's the word of the Lord that increased. It was not a personality that increased. It was not a program that increased. It was not a methodology. It wasn't a marketing ploy. It wasn't some person. It was the Word of God that grew, that increased, that expanded. The Word of God. And so the first thing that the disciples are doing here is they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Greg Allison, who is a professor at Southern Seminary, the seminary I graduated from, I love this quote. I go back to it often. He says this, The church must proclaim... Clearly, urgently, persuasively, the Word of God without confusion, without change, and without compromise as His first order of business. No confusion, no change, no compromise. Preaching the Word. So, what should Emmanuel be doing? We should be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to preaching and to teaching God's Word. Okay, what's the second thing that we should be devoted to? Second, Emmanuel should be committed to God-centered worship. Now, you see this in the passage of Scripture. Notice in verse 43, it says, Awe came upon every soul as wonders and signs were being done through them. This word awe means, it's actually the Greek word phobos, which we get the word phobia. It was this awe. This healthy fear of God. This whole idea that you have the respect for the transcendent glory of God. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. When we come and we gather here on Sunday mornings, is is there an awe? Is there a sense of God's holiness? Is there a serious and a gravitas about what we're about? Now, I'm not saying every Sunday has to be dreary like a funeral. Or that there can't be any celebration. But I'm afraid that what oftentimes happens in churches today is not worship, but entertainment. There's no sense of the holiness of God. It's very man-centered and is focused on making us feel good and having some type of exciting sensation when we leave. Here's the question we should ask every Sunday. Was God pleased with our worship today. How often do we leave a worship service? You're going to the restaurant. Man, Pastor Sean preached too long this Sunday. I didn't really like the song set this week. Nobody said anything to me today. It was too hot in the sanctuary. It was too cold in the sanctuary. There was a typo in the bulletin. 
I can think of all the things I've heard that you guys have told me over the years. You leave the church and you're, you're evaluating how it impacted you. When you leave a church service, the first thing you should ask is, was God pleased with us today? Did I give my worship to the Lord? Was he pleased with our worship? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. But notice in verse 46, what were they doing? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they, they, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, they were devoted to meeting. Now, they met in the temple courts, which was Solomon's colonnade. It was probably on what we would say would be the east side of the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem. So it was a large enough area where they could gather. And they still had permission back then to gather. So they had, they had the public gathering, the big worship service, and then they met in homes. And this was read also during our time of prayer this morning from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this model we see here in Acts is kind of a model we have for, for Emmanuel. They met in a large group, what we're doing right here, but then they met in homes. Now, we have groups that meet in homes. We have groups that meet on Sunday mornings. We have a large group gathering that we call the worship service, and then we have growth groups, smaller groups where we gather together in each other's lives for Bible study, for prayer, for fellowship. And notice verse 47, it says they were praising God. They were praising God. They had glad and generous hearts. It was a joyous time. They talked about God's glory, God's, God's grace. There was awe. Now, there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians. And this is what I pray for every Sunday. So like, Pastor Sean, what do you pray for every Sunday? This is what I pray for every Sunday. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Would not that happen every Sunday where a person that does not know Jesus walks into this place, is so overwhelmed with the glory of God that he falls on his face and he says, God is here. God is here. Because we are worshiping the one true God in spirit and in truth. It's a God-centered worship, not a man-centered entertainment. But we are giving ourselves to a holy God. We are worshiping Him. We are praising Him. And it's God-centered. So preaching, God-centered worship. And then let's look at number three. Emmanuel should be united in loving fellowship. Now, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And that, that's the word koinonia. It means partnership. It means fellowship. It means communion. It means having things in common, being in each other's lives, caring about one another, sharing with one another. And notice how they, they interacted and how this fellowship played itself out. Look at verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so they were meeting each other's needs. It also says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. So they're breaking bread in homes. They're, they're eating together. They're fellowshipping. Now, 
back then in that culture, eating a meal in somebody's home was a sign of intimacy, of friendship. It was just a wonderful thing to share a meal. Now, here's a, here's a secret that, that we as Baptists need to understand. You can fellowship in other places besides the fellowship hall. Okay, I give you permission. There's the fellowship hall, and we have potlucks in the fellowship hall. And, and, and by the way, that's the, only, that's the only time you can ever fellowship is in the fellowship hall when we have a potluck. Is that right? No. Fellowship means sharing with one another, being in each other's homes, loving, encouraging, praying for one another. Breaking bread was probably also talking about the Lord's Supper, celebrating the Lord's Supper together as a church family with joy. But one of the things I want to show you is what the church was marked by a beautiful expression of generosity. They were sharing with any who had need. Now, this wasn't mandated. They weren't, they weren't told to sell their possessions. That wasn't something that was mandated down. This is not communism where, like, the redistribution of wealth by force. No, this was something that came from the heart. They, they, they had glad and generous hearts. Let me say this, and I've said it before over the years. If we are being obedient to God's word, there should not be a needy person at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Everybody's needs should be met if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I know this is a little unrealistic because we don't know all the the needs that everybody has, but I do think it's an ideal for us to have to make sure that we are meeting each other's needs, whether those are financial needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs, needs need to be met. Now listen to 1 John three seventeen through 18. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. I love you. Have a nice day. Now, how do you love somebody? You love them through action. You love them through meeting needs. I, I think because of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, we should be the most generous people and loving people of all. They had glad and generous hearts. I don't want us to be known as a stingy church. I want us to be known as a generous church, a loving church, a healthy, united church where we're loving one another, we're praying for one another, we're encouraging one another, we're bearing one another's burdens, we're, we're being in each other's lives, we're, we're forgiving one another. All those one another's that you find out in the scriptures that we're practicing them. So we're united in fellowship. Okay, fourth, Emmanuel should be passionate about prayer. So back in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the most important, preaching and teaching. Number two, to fellowship. Number three, to the breaking of bread, which we talked about kind of like fellowship, and then prayer, the prayers. They met for prayer together, and they were devoted to prayer. It was a priority in their lives. They were diligent in prayer. Now, I know prayer goes on in your growth groups. I know prayer goes on in your homes. I know prayer goes on Sunday mornings. But let me just say one thing that I, when I came to Emmanuel 18 years ago, I said there's one thing that's non-negotiable when I come. We will have a prayer meeting. Now, our prayer meetings are on Sunday nights. And if it's just me and Dawn, that's fine. Or if there's multiple people that show up, one thing that's non-negotiable is that we will have a dedicated prayer meeting where we pray for the needs of this church. 
And so listen to the wisdom of Charles Spurgeon. He said this, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is the graceometer. And from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. We should be a praying church. Now, number five does not come from this passage of Scripture in Acts, but I brought it in because it does come from Acts, but not here. But this is part of what it means to be a healthy church. Number five, Emmanuel should have qualified spiritual leaders. Now, later on in Acts, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, when he goes back to the church in Antioch that sent him out, there's a report about what had happened. So Acts 14, 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now you see a lot of the same things we see there in Acts chapter 2. They're preaching the gospel, they're making disciples, they're encouraging one another, they're praying. But it says they appointed elders. They appointed elders. A healthy church is composed of godly men who are called apart to be the elders of the church. And I'm thankful for the elders that we have here at Emmanuel that serve alongside me that are the spiritual leaders of this church. And in addition to elders, we have deacons. The two offices in the church are elders and deacons, or pastors and deacons. So we have both. You may wonder, well, who are these people? Well, every Sunday, the deacons come up first. They're on a rotation, and their, their name says deacon up there, so you know they're a deacon. They do the opening scripture, and then in the middle of the service, our elder comes up, and our elders are on a rotation. So we are blessed here to Emmanuel to have both godly elders and deacons who lead this church. But here's my prayer. If you look at our elders and our deacons, most of them are getting a little gray in the hair. We need some younger leaders to emerge in this church to be the spiritual leaders. So you need to start praying right now that God would raise up some young men to be future deacons and elders to lead this church. And God may be speaking to your heart this morning that putting a desire in your heart to pursue eldership or deaconship, and maybe God is working in your heart to be that. Okay, number six, and I guess there were six of them, so I was right. Emmanuel should obey the Great Commission. Now, it doesn't come right out and say that, but notice the very last phrase there. As a result of all this, their preaching, their teaching, their fellowship, their generosity, their praying, their meeting together. Notice that very last phrase there. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added. Now verse 47 is interesting too. It said they were having favor with all the people. They had a good reputation in the community. They were known for their generosity. They were known for their ministry. Now, we need to be careful here because it's not always going to be like that. You as a church, if you're faithful to God's truth, may not always be favorable in the community because when you stand up for truth, the community may not want to hear the truth. And so that may put you at odds with those around you, but you don't want to purposely be offensive or purposely be off-putting or rude or grumpy. You want to have a good reputation in your community as a church that's generous, that's loving, that's caring. 
But I want you to notice that the Lord added to their number. God's sovereign over salvation. So what's effective evangelism, you may ask? Here's effective evangelism. You share the gospel boldly, clearly, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you trust the results up to God. The Lord added to their number. The pastor didn't add to the number. The deacons didn't add to the number. The Lord added to their number. But I want you to notice something. They were not added to the church unless they were saved. A church is made up of saved people. How many churches right now have unsaved people in their midst that think they're saved just because they walked an aisle or they said a prayer or they went to VBS as a kid or maybe they were baptized when they were five or maybe they just thought, I grew up in America, so I'm a Christian. That's why it's important that we understand that whoever's taken into membership into Emmanuel Baptist Church is saved, has a credible profession of faith that understands these type of things. Now, I want you to also know the flip side. They weren't added into the church unless they were saved, but here's the flip side. They weren't added to the church unless they were baptized. The Lord added those who were baptized. 3,000 got baptized that day. They were added to the church. So here's the thing. When a person got saved, it wasn't like they lived in no man's land. They were connected immediately to the church family. It wasn't like I got saved and now I'm a Lone Ranger Christian out here doing my own thing. No, they were added to the church. They, they became part of the church. They became part of the fellowship. And, and the Greek text here says the Lord kept on adding. The Lord kept on adding. So God keeps on adding to his church. And so it started in Acts chapter 2 and it continues on to today. The Lord keeps adding. And I pray he keeps adding and adding and adding and adding believers to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Not because we're that great. Not because we're awesome. But because he is doing a work of grace in people's lives. Now, you may look at this list and say, well, Pastor Sean, this sounds so ordinary. This doesn't sound really exciting. Actually, it sounds kind of boring. Preaching, fellowship, prayer, Lord's Supper, baptism. Why can't church be more exciting? How come Emmanuel doesn't have smoke machines? How come I'm not a skinny jeans pastor that's hip how come we're not secret targeted? Because you don't want to see me in skinny jeans. That's the other thing. Um, how come we're not a hip church? How come we're not doing all this innovative stuff that you hear these mega churches doing around the country that are growing by leaps and bounds? And I'm not against mega churches. There are some very good mega churches that are faithful to the Lord. It's not the size of the church. But let me just ask you a very simple question How did the early church grow? Through the faithful preaching of ordinary people doing the ordinary things that God has ordained for us to do. But think about it this way. Through the ordinary things, God does the extraordinary. We are ordinary people. This is an ordinary church. The things we do are pretty ordinary, but when we do them faithfully, God does the extraordinary. He adds people to His flock. He changes hearts. He changes lives. He changes families. There's a good website. We, we put the Table Talk magazines out there on the, the table, but Ligonier, R.C. Sproul's ministry, from the Ligonier website, there, there's an article. I'll just quote to you real quick. It says, We do not need more movements, more conferences, and more celebrities. 
We do not need the next big thing. What we need are more churches committed to the way disciples have been made since the apostles planted a church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. What is that? This is what he says. The slow-going, unspectacular, ordinary ministry of word and sacrament where God is raising dead sinners and creating a living communion of saints. It may be slow-going. It may be ordinary. It may seem like nothing's going on. But we can't see the secret things that God is doing in people's hearts to bring about change. So don't be discouraged if you don't see immediate results. Don't be discouraged if some church down the street's growing by leaps and bounds and it seems like nothing's happening in Emmanuel. The kingdom of God glows like a mustard seed. It starts out small and it grows big. It's sometimes slow, it's sometimes gradual, but God is doing the work. So let's just recap these things. Emmanuel should be devoted to faithful preaching and teaching. We should be devoted to God-centered worship. We should be devoted to fellowship and to prayer and to qualified spiritual leaders and to the Great Commission. Now, I want to tell you a story about a church that had a major impact on this community. Some of you are going to guess this before I get to the punchline, but that's okay. Picture London, England in the 1860s. London was Europe's largest city with three million people. And there was a young pastor who started out with 50 people and soon grew to 10,000 and they had to find a place to meet because they kept running out of places to meet. So in 1860, they built a new building and it seated 5,000 people. This is back in 1860. And this building was right in the middle of the slum district in London, London's East End, right there at the, at the south end of the Thames River. It was surrounded by warehouses and working-class people, and it was estimated that one-third of London's population during that time was poor. And it was right in the backyard of this church. Now, what's the name of the church? The Metropolitan Tabernacle. Who's the pastor of the church? Charles Spurgeon. Now, when you think of Spurgeon, we often think of his preaching. But let me tell you about how he pastored that church. There was no national education system or public education in London at that time. There's no public schools. Everybody had to go to private schools if you were rich enough. 10% of London was illiterate, couldn't read. So he said, you know what? I'm going to do two things. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to start a pastor's college where I'm going to raise up pastors, but I'm going to teach them to read. So he started a pastor's college where he would teach young men how to train to be pastors, but also teach them how to read. Then in 1866, he built the Stockwell Orphanage for Boys. So he started an orphanage. Then in 1880, he built a girls' orphanage. And by the end of the 19th century, it was estimated that he had cared for over 1,500 children. Now in the slums area, there were also single mothers and widows that could not really uh, survive. And so what he did was he started special homes for women, where women could live rent-free, They would be given food and clothing. And in these houses for widows, single mothers, they had school for their children, and they also taught those children how to read. He also partnered with many soup kitchens and rescue missions in London. Now here's the amazing thing about Metropolitan Tabernacle. For a seven-year period of time, There were so many unsaved people coming to church that Charles Spurgeon had to tell his regular attenders once a month, do not attend church. 
We need to save seats for the people that are coming. How would you like it if so many lost people were coming? I told you, hey, don't come to church this week. Your seat needs to be saved for a person that's never heard about Jesus because we're busting at the seams. You see, the Metropolitan Tabernacle made such an impact on London that the government officials, the, the leaders of London, said if this church did not exist, we don't know what would happen with the poor in London. This one church is making such an impact upon the poor, upon the illiterate, upon the urban poor in the really hard part of London. Without this church, I don't know what we would do. We'd have major problems. So it had me think very seriously about our church. Let's just ask a question. What if Emmanuel ceased to exist? Would our community even know? Would Northeastern Colorado even care? How are we reaching people? How are we helping people? How are we declaring the truth, proclaiming God's word? How are we loving one another? How are we praying for one another? How are we raising up new leaders? So what is the state of Emmanuel? Well, we're not a perfect church by any means, and you know that. But I do think God has richly blessed us. That I know there's no factions or divisions. There's no major problems. God has been faithful to us financially. We're blessed with godly leaders. Even through COVID and all the things that have happened, we have not lost a lot of the attendance. We strive to be faithful to God's word. I pray we have God-centered worship. We're, we're trying to be a people of prayer. So in some areas, I think the state of Emmanuel's good. Are there areas that need improvement? Yes. That's a whole other sermon I could preach. <clears throat> but I would like to see more people involved in our growth groups, our small groups. I'd like to see more people serving and using their gifts so not just a small group of people are being burned out. I'd like to see more people sharing the gospel. I'd like to see more people saved and baptized. And again, I know God's in control of that. But I can say this. I am thankful for this church family. So for the past 18 or so years, you have encouraged our family. You've loved our family. You've supported us through difficult times. And I'm sure we've supported you through difficult times. And so I would say, by God's grace... Not anything that I've done, not anything you've done, because we know how weak and how simple we are, but by God's grace, I think the state of Emmanuel is good. It could be a lot better. It could be a lot worse. But by God's grace, we are where we are, and we need to pray for God to lead us. We need to pray for God's grace to be the church He's called us to be. To be the church that He's called us to be, to do the things God's called us to do, and to be faithful in doing those things, not so that we can gain attention upon ourselves, but so that He gets all of the glory. So I'm asking you as we move forward in 2023, I can stand up and preach a sermon, the state of Emmanuel, and tell you about all these things, but really where the rubber hits the road is, is your participation. Your commitment. How are you going to move forward? How are you going to integrate into the life of this church? How are you going to serve? How are you going to pray? How are you going to participate? And so all of us need to ask the question, are we being and doing what God has called us to do and to be? For His glory. Not for ours, but for His. So I'm asking you to join me in prayer as we start 2023 to be the people 
to be the families, to be the church God's called us to be. And as we sang it earlier, speak the name of Jesus this week. Let us be a church that speaks the name of Jesus over our families, over our communities, over the darkness, over the lostness, over the brokenness, over the addictions, over all the things that we're faced with in this tough time that we live. And let's do it for the glory of God. So let me ask you to pray with me as you bow your heads this morning. Father, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to be faithful to your truth. Help us to be faithful in preaching and teaching your word. Help us be faithful with God-centered worship. Help us to be faithful and and united in fellowship and loving one another and serving one another. Lord, let us be a house of prayer. Let us be a prayerful people. Let us be a generous people. Lord, would you raise up new leaders, especially younger leaders, to, to, to pick up the mantle and be the spiritual leaders going forward in the future. Lord, would you help us to be obedient to your great commission by sharing the gospel and boldly speaking your truth to those that need to know you. So Lord, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to know what that would look like in our own lives. Help us to to know how there's ways we can be reaching the community better. Lord, help us just to be thoughtful and prayerful and, and wise and discerning and just to be obedient for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.